Blog Talk Radio. If I ever do anything right, I want to be so good to this little life. If I ever wake in the night, I want to know I tried my best for this little life. Progressive Parenting Radio is a production of Progressive Parenting Network and GinaKirby.com. No material on this radio program should be considered medical advice. This is a listener-funded program. And now, your host, Gina Kirby. Hello. Being a parent is the hardest job you'll ever have. Progressive Parenting understands this and wants you to know that you are not alone. My name is Gina Kirby, and I am your humble host. I am not a parenting expert, but as a doula, a childbirth educator, a La Leche League International breastfeeding peer counselor, and concerned parent of four children ages 12 years old through 19 months, I understand the difficulties involved with parenthood. So I will be inviting doctors, nurses, family workers, authors, and experts from different fields to answer your parenting questions. Because this is a progressive talk show, we will broach topics and air opinions that you as a parent might not otherwise hear about through the mainstream media. The mission of progressive parenting is to inform, not preach, to share, not advise, and to connect, not alienate. Progressive Parenting Radio is a listener-funded program. If you enjoy the information we bring to you, please consider donating at ProgressiveParentingRadio.com. Progressive Parenting Radio has been broadcasting for nine years, bringing quality information information to listeners like you. We would like to thank our listeners and our sponsors for supporting our mission to bring great information to uh, great parents and, again, listeners just like you. Many thanks to our sponsors, SnuggleMeOrganic.com, makers of all organic infant, the all-organic infant lounging and bed-sharing cushion. As a bed-sharing mama of 13 years, I really wish I would have known about this product four kids ago. Give them a shout-out on Facebook or Instagram. We have their links up at Progressive Parenting Radio's Facebook page. And uh, another big shout-out and thank you to our other sponsor, YourDoulaBag.com. And a huge thank you to New Life Birth Services, LLC, and to MJ Vargas for helping uh, today's show become a reality. That's New Life Birth Services and Prenatal Yoga LLC. The number to call in during the program is 347-850-1642. That number again is 347-850-1642. If you'd like to ask a question during the program or make a comment, please press 1 and it will alert our producer that you have something to say. I'm so pleased about uh, today's guest and about today's topic. It's something that's uh, near and dear to me, and it comes up a lot as a, a doula and a childbirth educator. And my guest today is Dr. Carmack. I am so excited to have Dr. Adrian Carmack on the show. She has been studying urology since 2003. 
She went into urology because she loved the mix of emergency and long-term care. Some patients need a quick fix and some need long-term help exploring their illness and finding the best treatment. Urology is a rewarding specialty that offers great potential to help others. I am super excited to have her on the program today uh, to talk about circumcision myths and facts. So let's see if we can get her live on the program. Dr. Adrian, are you there? Yes, I am. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. And um, thank you for your work. I wanted to know um, if you could share with our listeners how um, a urology doctor is talking about um, circumcision myths and facts. How did um, how did you come to where you are right now in your profession? Well, it came about when I was a resident, and one of my jobs was, of course, to counsel parents about whether to have their child circumcised. And I believed what the AAP said at the time, which was that it was a parent's choice and that it basically depended on their personal values, that there were risks to it and benefits, and neither one outweighed the other. Um, but when I went to the actual medical literature so that I could give the parents accurate information, I found that that actually wasn't the case. Um, and I also saw quite a bit of complications of circumcisions in my practice, um, in my training as a resident. When I was um, training, I went to an American Academy of Pediatrics conference, and when I was there, I came across Marilyn Milo at a no circ booth and realized that there were other people who realized that this didn't make sense either um, and that circumcision was something that a lot of people were talking about. Well, that's the thing. Um, I, I do want to talk about um, a lot of the myths versus facts, but my my number one question is when I when I am talking to people that like my doula clients or my childbirth education clients will ask me about circumcision and they'll say, "Well, uh, why doesn't the AAP say what you're saying exactly?" Um, what is it about that? I mean, you said you know you were you as a urologist you were going by what the AAP said, the American Academy of Pediatrics. Why, um, why, are, why are they kind of like not on board? Well, that's a really interesting question, and I'm not sure that I know the complete answer, but the truth is most medical societies in other countries don't support newborn circumcision. And, in fact, the Royal Dutch Medical Association specifically calls for physicians to tell their parents that it's damaging and harmful and that it's our ethical responsibility to not do it and to tell parents that they should not do it either. Um, and the Canadian Pediatric Society has long um, spoken out against it, um, although not quite as strongly as the Royal Dutch Medical Association. The um, National Health Services in England also speaks out against it. Um, and yet the American Academy of Pediatrics keeps going back and forth. And, you know, one of the sad realizations that I've had as a physician is that the standards of care in the practice of medicine are not unfortunately, always based on health, but we do live in a consumerist culture and one that's driven by business, and a lot of the medical system in this country is based on that. I mean, the entire American Medical Association was founded based on special interests for business purposes, not health. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, if you, if you really just step back and look at the truth about it, it becomes quite obvious that it's that it is damaging and it is more harmful. Um and it doesn't it doesn't require one to be a urologist to see all the complications to know that because it is common sense. I mean, when someone has a healthy body that they're born with and you do something physical to it, traumatic to it, you are going to create problems.
Let's see if she can hear me. It's not working. How about now? Can you hear me, Adrian? Let's try that again. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Okay, I'm sorry. We had like yes. a a little glitch there. I was like talking to myself. Uh, yes, I couldn't hear anything so, for a while. Okay, yeah. So my question to you is: um, the, the, the did, did you hear the story about my my firstborn? No. Okay, let's start. Let me start over. When I was pregnant with okay. my firstborn, the doctor uh, said to us. I, I asked him about circumcision because I thought for sure I was having a boy. And uh, he said, yeah, it's, it's, a clean, it's a clean option, and it'll keep your baby healthy. That's what I was told. And I said, will it hurt my baby? He said, no, we do it all the time. Um, let's talk about the myths versus facts here. He said that it's a cleaner option and will keep my baby safe. Um, let's talk about that first. Like, that's yes, the first great. thing parents hear. It's the, the cleaner option. Yes. So in terms of cleanliness, that's, that's just a, a complete myth. Um, the foreskin is not inherently dirty. It does produce secretions like all mucosal surfaces of the body do. Um, just, you know, the inside of the vagina isn't like the skin on your leg either, but it's that way for a reason. Um, and the, it, I think that the cleanliness thing comes from people being afraid of body fluids, um, and that obviously has historical reasonings behind it, but it's not really rational because we are alive, you know, living things and we do need body fluids to survive. And the purpose of the foreskin secretions, one of the purposes is to allow for intercourse without friction. And um, that's actually a really common problem. A lot of people always assume that if if uh, someone needs lubrication for intercourse, it's because of the woman. But a lot of the times it's actually because the male partner's not providing any and that's because they don't have a foreskin. Um, And that's one of the roles of it. It's also physical. It allows for gliding because the the extra tissue, it's not extra tissue, but the, the tissue that is of the foreskin allows the skin to glide without causing friction for the male or his partner. Um, in terms of it being healthier, you know, there there are studies that suggest a higher rate of STDs and penile cancer in men who have foreskins, but when those studies are examined more closely, it's it's really not... Um, what it's claimed to be. And the American Cancer Society has even said that recommending circumcision to prevent penile cancer is is absolutely not supported. What we do know is that it actually correlates with HPV infections and smoking and phomosis, which is a, a pathologic condition where the foreskin is scarred and cannot retract. But most men with normal foreskins don't have that. Um, so there are very important ways keep yourself healthy, but they don't require amputation of healthy body parts to do so. Well, what about, because um, I'm on Facebook all the time, so there's all these uh, questions that come up from parents uh, about um, circumcision, like uh, parents will say, well, this you know, this can keep them from, well, you actually, you covered a lot of that stuff, because they, they talk about mm-hmm. keeping them from getting cancer later on in life, or, you know, um, passing out HPV, and um, can you talk to me a little bit about right. um, the the one thing that people bring up all the time is the, the the article, not the article, the research that was done in Africa about AIDS and circumcision, mm-hmm. and um, that comes up all the time, but the truth about it doesn't come up all the time. Could you speak right. to that a little bit? 
so so what well, we can look at one of those studies and what it actually showed was a reduction in the rate of HIV acquisition in adult men who were circumcised of from approximately 2 in the 100 to 1 in 100 in the first 6 months after surgery and that although you know, on a global scale, that may be significant. That really does not translate into the best way to prevent HIV being cutting a newborn baby's healthy body parts. It, it does not prevent HIV to have a circumcision. We know that. We know that we have a very high rate of HIV infections in this country in which the majority of the population has historically been circumcised. Um, it's, it's completely false to tell someone that they can prevent HIV by getting circumcised. That's absolutely not true. You can get any STD when you've been circumcised, and we all know that. And so why we mm-hmm. allow ourselves to believe that that's not the case it doesn't really make sense because every one of us knows that that is not why. Now, the rate may be slightly reduced, but there are other ways to reduce your rate which are much more effective, such as practicing safe sex. Um, and it's far more important to, to enact those measures. Now, if an adult male really believes that it's worth it for him to have his foreskin removed to cut his chance down by 1 in 100 and doesn't you know, isn't going to take other measures for safe sex and he wishes to do that, then as long as he has the true information about what the potential risk of circumcision are, that's his choice. But applying that to a newborn child who may or may not even choose to engage in risky sexual behaviors and may prefer other ways of preventing STDs if he does, just doesn't make any sense. Right. And you brought up a couple of things that, that was brought up in this um, this video uh, that I saw, and it's a clip from Craig Ferguson's show on Late Night, and uh, or the Late Late Show. And I don't know if you've ever seen it, but I'd like to play it for you. It's just 58 seconds long, but it covers a lot of stuff that I'd like to discuss with you, if you don't mind. So I'm going to play it right now. Okay. Pediatrics Ethics Policy 
states that when something is a personal choice and it's not based on a medical need, then you have no right to make that decision for your child. You know, we do make decisions for our children when we need to, when that decision is pressing and important, but, it, you know, when it's a personal choice about the types of sexual behavior they're going to want to engage in and how they want their body to be, that's absolutely not appropriate for us to be deciding those things for our children. And that goes back to the phrase general integrity. Yes. Because I don't, I know that a lot of people understand uh, essentially what that means. <laughs> when you break it down, it's the, the the right to the baby to have control over their private parts until they're old enough to make decisions about them. Right, and you know, since you're a doula, you're you're used to women wanting that for themselves, which is why they enlist your help because they want they want those their genital integrity respected during birth too. They you know women. Women want to avoid episiotomies. They want to avoid unnecessary interventions during birth. And it's it's the same principle that applies to all of us throughout our lives where it's our body and it's our decision what we do with it. Um, but I think the reality is few men will choose circumcision as, adult, um, as adults. Now, men who were circumcised and never knew what having a foreskin is may find that hard to understand, but that's because they don't know what it was like to have one and they don't... Um, understand how it was feel. And men who've had diseases sometimes are happy to have a circumcision, but it's pretty rare that I have any adult male who has a healthy foreskin come into my office and ask me for a circumcision. Very rare. Um, and the few cases I can remember was completely based on myths and not on an actual desire to not have that part of their body. Um, yeah, and it, I mean, it, that is, go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 please go well, ahead. Well, the, the other major issue is the harms of circumcision, and this is con- this is commonly said as if it's really not that big of a deal, but that's simply not true. I mean, is one of the more common things that we see as urologists is complications of circumcision, and one of these is meatal stenosis, where the urinary meatus, you know, through which we urinate, becomes scarred and narrowed. Um, and a very common presentation is a four-year-old boy who comes in with pain with urinating, and you examine him, and his urethral opening is almost closed, and you oh. have to do a procedure in the office where you, you know, you take a, a young boy who's completely aware of what's going on, and you inject anesthetic, and then cut the the urethra open, and that, that's a horrible experience for a child to have. And that all of our urology textbooks clearly state that this is almost exclusively seen after circumcision. So we know without a doubt that that is a complication of circumcision. It's very common. Every single urologist sees several cases of this you know, routinely. It's not a rare problem. Um, the actual numbers on how often it is vary. I've seen as high as about 11% in the literature. Some studies say, say less, but it's it's absolutely significant. It's absolutely something we see. I'm sure some people listening have known someone or had their child themselves who've had neonatal stenosis and had to have this done. Um, we also really commonly see poor healing where either the tissue was removed irregularly and so the penis looks completely abnormal or the tissue scars to the head of the penis and they have what we call adhesions, which is a band going from the remaining skin to the head of the penis. And with, with erections, those can be very tight and pull. They can trap debris under them. Those are not rare things at all. They happen quite a bit. No, the adhesions happen all the time, trauma. right? Yeah, they happen all the time. And then, of course, there's actual trauma of the procedure. And, I mean, it's, it's something it, – having part of your genitals cut off is traumatic no matter what it, whether you can express that or not, um, stating that it's not doesn't make any sense. We know that 
Well, what I, that's what I see all the time. Of all, of, traumatic. all of the forums will say, uh, where there's a mom that will say, um, well, my baby didn't cry during the procedure, even though they weren't in the room, or the, the nurse said that my baby didn't cry, and he seemed fine, and he's okay, and he's fine. What 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 about that? I mean, we hear it all the time um, uh, about, like, oh, my baby slept through the procedure, or it didn't bother him, or uh, what are the, these stories that parents are told who aren't maybe present during mm-hmm. the procedure? Well, certainly there are babies who scream bloody murder during the procedure. I've seen that with my own eyes. I have not personally seen a baby not cry, but I have heard parents. Some of them have been in the room. Um, So I think it is possible that that happens, even though I haven't witnessed it myself. Um, But I think that the reasons are multifactorial, and it doesn't necessarily mean that it wasn't traumatic. I mean, babies express themselves uh, in a variety of ways. A lot of babies are born you know, in a hospital with drugs in their system. And so that could impact how they express their pain. There are a lot of factors that go into it. But saying that cutting off part of the body, causing bleeding, causing inflammation, scarring isn't traumatic, no matter how the person responds, just, again, it's completely illogical. Well, yeah, well, here's, and there's the thing too, though, there's, um, it comes up all the time, and uh, cognitive di- dissonance, right? Um, yes. I, I I think this is a good part of the show. I really should have said this in the beginning. I don't I don't want parents to listen to this and feel bad. I I want right. I want this information out there for parents who are on the fence, or maybe this is their second mm-hmm. time around and they want more information this time. I'm not here to make parents feel bad about their decisions. If my first son, child would have right. been a son, we would have had him circumcised, and most likely our second daughter. Uh, had she been a boy, we would have had her circumcised as well. I didn't hear about any of this until uh, I was doing my radio program, and we had Marilyn Milos on the program. And it was a two-hour show mm-hmm. on our AM station. And after the show, me and my husband were just, like, flabbergasted. We were just like, whoa, right. we didn't know any of this stuff. And we totally would have, you know, if we had had boys, we would have had two boys who were circumcised already. And so this is not about judging. This is not about preaching. This is all about just trying to get real information into the hands of parents. So, But there is that thing, though, about cognitive dissonance, right? Like what parent wants to think that they made a mistake? Right. Or or that they harmed their child in any way. Sure. And that is hard, of course. Um, And, I mean, I think you and I both have made plenty of mistakes as parents, and and that's what everybody does. (laughs) And we – but what what separates – what what makes it a mistake and on you know is recognizing it and then choosing to do something differently in the future um and that that's why it's important to we none of us can experience every single thing and know what the outcome's going to be and do all of our research on it and that's why it's important to be open minded and hear what other people have to say and let that guide you somewhat in looking into things but you have to look into things yourself and get the facts um which which is a hard part about being a parent these days but that is what we have to do i mean i've spent so many hours on the computer myself since I became a mother just looking things up because we get so much misinformation. But when you when you really step back and think about it and look at the facts, it's it's really the, I mean the truth is obvious and it's recognized it's it's not some it's not a us versus them thing. It's recognized throughout the world in many cultures and we know that in this world unfortunately there are a lot of cultures that don't recognize these things and it's easy for us to see it if we look at female circumcision or female genital mutilation to see the cultural causes of that and if we can step back and 
look at something that to us is so obviously wrong and understand that there's an entire culture. I mean, it, in those cultures, most of the women choose to have their daughters circumcised too because they mm-hmm. do believe, in, because of what they've been taught, that it was better for them. I mean, not all, there are some who speak up, but in general, the, the act gets perpetuated based on these cultural myths that it's cleaner and healthier and that's what my husband like, will like, you know, I'll be more marriageable, et cetera. It prevents diseases and blah, blah, blah. They have all the same reasons. And we can step back and see, oh, my goodness, like what we're told about things affects our perception so much because these aren't bad people over there either. These are also people who, just like people here who who choose to engage in male circumcision, they believe what they've been told and they, it makes sense to them. And um, it, Well, what about that idea? That, I'm sorry. That, I've just, it just popped into my head and I noticed we were running mm-hmm. out of time. What about the idea that, um, you know, the baby should look like its father? <laughs> well, that 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 one's. Um, well, I'm sorry I have to bring it up because these are things that I see in the forums all the time. It is. Yes, and and actually, I mean, I, they... I do laugh because there. I do laugh because I've done so much reading now about how how silly that is because of all the implications of it. But I but I will say that before I had done my own research, I thought it would be up to my husband because he's the one with the penis and he knows what it's like to have a right. foreskin or not. And I I think that's more of an issue actually than cosmetic appearance looking alike, but more like, well, if my husband didn't mind being circumcised, then then he should be able to make the decision, or he's the one who knows what it's like. And so a lot of times as women, we feel like we don't have the right to make the decision. And I actually talk about this a lot in my book, because um, it was because I was the only female resident, realizing a lot of my coworkers were Jewish who, you know, engaged in circumcision as part of their religion, and it was hard to speak up about it, um, and especially as, as being a woman, too, and not actually having a foreskin or a penis. To, well, we, women do have a foreskin, but not having a male foreskin. Um, but, and, and at first I thought it would be my husband's decision if we had a son. And if our first had been, had been a boy, by then I knew that circumcision was, um, truly not in the child's best interest, but my husband didn't really know that yet. And we would have had a fight on our hands if our first child had been a boy. By the time we had our second child, um, who was a boy, um, my my husband, who's my ex-husband now, he listened to Howard Stern and Howard Stern's actually an outspoken, um, speaks out against circumcision quite a bit um, as a Jewish man. And by then, my husband had heard that and realized that what Howard Stern said was true. Like, this really just doesn't make any sense that we're doing this. And so by the time we had our son, he was completely on board, so we didn't have to have any disagreement about it. But um, it really, it's recognizing that even though this is what's, you know, if your husband is circumcised, that this is what was normal for him, that this is all he's grown up to know, it's totally absolutely possible that that he's feels okay. There are plenty of men who are totally unhappy with their circumcisions, but there are men who feel fine about it and haven't known anything else and feel like everything functions fine. Um, and with all those things still being true, it doesn't make sense to perpetuate the practice. Well, I have another question about, um, I remember this came up once about men's, okay, penises going like to the left or to the right. Is that a hereditary mm-hmm. thing, or is that something that's caused by circumcision? It can be caused by circumcision, but it's actually usually um, by scarring within the within the fascial tissue that's underneath this penile skin. Okay, that guess that was one of the questions that came up um, in our in our chat room. What about um, is it true that babies could die from getting circumcised? 
Um, oh, it, it's, it happens. It happens a few times, at least a few times a year. I don't know the exact statistics on it. I just There was just an article in the newspaper about another boy who died after circumcision that was forwarded to me. So this just happened in Canada within the last month or two. Um, so it's it's absolutely a reality. It's rare, um, but it can happen because their babies and their bodies aren't meant to sustain this. And sometimes they, uh, one of the more common problems we see from circumcision is bleeding after the procedure. Most of the time what happens is the child goes home, they're screaming, their diapers are bloody, the parents get worried, they end up bringing them back in, and we end up cauterizing the bleeding and stopping it. But um, sometimes we can't stop it, and it's definitely happened. You can also get infections, and infections obviously can be fatal in newborns, much more so than they are in, in older, more mature people. Um, so those things, they do happen. They're not common, but that's absolutely a risk. Anytime you intervene in any way, to the body physically. There's a risk of infection, a risk of bleeding, you know, a risk of some unexpected reaction, and that risk always can go all the way up to death from any any type of intervention, medical intervention. I know I wasn't given informed consent. Do you think that most parents are given that type of informed consent where they're saying, like, here's the list of the complications that can happen, um, you know, risk versus – because this is what I do for my, my, my clients. Uh, when my clients are making a decision, she has to weigh, like, what are the risks versus the benefits? Do you think that parents are, are being given? I mean, right now the AAP isn't even saying any of the things that you're saying right now. So what are the chances right. of, of parents getting real informed consent about the risks versus benefits of circumcision? Well, the medical literature actually shows that the parents aren't getting real informed consent. And there, there was just a study that where they were looking at using a um, decision tree type model to guide parents through the information about circumcision just based on facts, having a doctor walk through that versus the doctor just going in the room and talking. And in the study, they showed that when the doctors just went in the room and talked, they very rarely gave the parents adequate information. They would say things like what the doctor said to you, oh, it's safer and it's clean and they won't have any problems from it. And um, unfortunately, I think that is still common. I, you know, I'm sure there are some doctors who do give good informed consent. But if, you know, if a true a true informed consent, in my mind, based on the facts, as I have witnessed them as a urologist, what the Royal Dutch Medical Association says is true, that the harms of circumcision are quite significant, and there's no medical reason to do it, and it should be actively discouraged. Wow. Um, I think we have a caller right now on the line. I want to make sure she's there. Yeah, she does. She's a little question mark. Hi, caller. You're live on the air. Where are you calling from? Hi, from Baltimore, Maryland. Oh, awesome. What is your question or comment? I was just commenting, thanking you again for bringing this to the forefront, that this is information that is a wonderful resource for any new parents just to get more information because this is not the information that is typically out there in the mainstream um, world, you know, getting the information that um, how this affects, you know, what are the negative effects of of this surgery. Well, thank you. Yes. Thank you so much for calling. I appreciate it. No, thank you all. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, um, and unfortunately that is true. And there are there have been groups around for a while speaking out against this, but a lot of times they're dismissed and not heard. And, um, I mean, I've, I've actually learned a great deal from intactivist organizations. I've learned things that... I wasn't taught, but when I heard them from them, I knew that they were true because of my experience. I mean, they're they're not making stuff up. Wow. 
And that's the hardest thing, too, um, is getting this information out in a way that's, that's gentle right. and caring. I think uh, a lot of moms yeah. who maybe made the decision already to circumcise the first child um, are kind of met with a lot of uh, vitriol and um, a lot of mm-hmm. harsh messages that that aren't given in a in a kind way because you know parents only you know they do the best they can with what they know at the time you only know what you exactly. know, when you know it. and right. so I'm really hoping to be um, uh, more like you and more like other people that I know who are talking about this who are trying to do it in a gentle manner and to present it in a way that's respectful and gives dignity to parents who who might have chosen otherwise in the past and that's okay because we we can only do right. You know what we can with what we know, and that's just the truth of it. And it's right. okay. And the, the fact that the fact that the intentions behind the decision were good does matter. I mean, it's but it doesn't make it okay. What it means is that you turn those intentions into actually you want your actions to actually achieve what your intention was. And when you realize that it didn't, your intention was to do the best thing for your child, and you realize later that that may not have been the best thing. Well, then you you remember your intention that, that you set it from, and find a new way to approach that, which we do all the time as parents in every decision we make. And when we realize something's wrong, we have to check ourselves and remind ourselves, well, this is what I was hoping for, so maybe if I try this, then I'll then I'll be able to offer that. So, so um, there is one website that I would like to actually recommend. Oh, please. Um, it's, it's called circumcisionharm.org, and it, mm-hmm. this is a, a grassroots effort that was done by a friend of mine named Tim Hammond, and it was done, he's an adult male who's been um, working – in circumcision advocacy for a long time. Um, and he started this online survey in which men could come and report the harms that they've experienced from circumcision. So these are adult men. Almost all of them were circumcised as newborn. Um, and if, if you read it, it's, it's really touching. And this is not, these aren't things that all men have experienced. It's something that anyone who is circumcised could experience. Um, and significant enough number do, which is partly why we have so many intactivist groups right now, because of adult men who wish that it hadn't been done. It's not something they can really just walk up on the street and talk about, but this forum allows them to express themselves safely. Um, and if you go there and read the answers, and there's also a photo gallery that shows some of the physical harms of, circum- of supposedly normal circumcisions that were uncomplicated, um, it's it's really th- – these are the types of things that I see in my practice, and it's it's what, part of what makes the truth about this so obvious. Right. And, and what about um, America being like the biggest purchasers of Viagra in in the world? What's that about? Well, that's that's about medical consumerism um for for sure. There are a you know, there there's a lot of factors that go into that into the rates of erectile dysfunction in this country and the choice to use pharmaceuticals to approach it. Um and I I'm not certain how much circumcision may be related to that, but lifestyle is absolutely a factor in that, and it tends to be our default in this country in general when there's a problem to go seek a quick fix like that instead of looking at the cause, the actual root cause of the problem. Um, And until we do that, we're going to continue to have pretty high rates of pharmaceutical use. Um, What... What part of circumcision uh, plays into that those type of problems, whether it's erectile dysfunction or maybe just like pain during sex as you get older? What's it, what's mm-hmm. it called when um, the the outside of the the penis is um, like calloused? That's that's called keratinization, and that's something that happens after all circumcisions. So normally the foreskin 
covers the head of the penis except during an erection. The head of the penis moist and it keeps the tissue softer, but when someone is circumcised, that tissue is constantly exposed to the outside environment, and so it um, forms forms thicker a thicker protective layer, which is keratinization. So a lot of men do experience differences in sexual function um, because of the circumcision, and part of it is the keratinization, so that affects the sensitivity of the glands, but a lot of it is just due to the inherent loss of the foreskin. We know that the foreskin contains a large number of nerves and nerve endings and specialized tissue, and there are a lot of sensations that the foreskin can pick up that the head of the penis doesn't detect because it's just not meant to. Um, and a lot of men also will have hypersensitivity around the circumcision scar or a loss of sensitivity, and that's just because, you know, it's when we cut off the foreskin, we cut through nerves, and that anytime you cut nerves in any type of surgery, it can affect the way that those nerves perceive things and the way that your body heals affects things. So some men will notice um, differences in the way the way that their skin feels around their circumcision scar compared to the other parts. And that can definitely affect erectile function and sexual function. The ways that it does that are various, and, and there are other factors as well, of course, but it definitely has an impact. Wow. Okay. Well, I I want to thank you so much. I I was just listening to that, thinking, you know, how many of us, uh, how many among us, moms and doulas and midwives, can say that they're very um, uh, knowledgeable about the function of the foreskin? Like we might be talking about um, circumcision, but and you might be someone who is all about um, keeping boys whole and intact, but. Um, I think it's really important for us to understand if we're going to be talking to parents about circumcision that we understand the function of the foreskin. So I really want to bring up, you brought up Marilyn Milos before, who is the founder mm-hmm. of No Cirque. There's a really great video that you guys can find on YouTube. I put it on our Facebook page on Progressive Parenting Radio uh, already because I knew I was going to be bringing this up. But it's called The Penis, Sex Education 101. And Marilyn really breaks down how the penis and the foreskin works. And my husband and I did this radio program, like I said, uh, years ago on an AM station, like nine years ago. And we walked out of the, the show going, I had no idea. Like, like how could I be 30 years old and not know anything about the penis <laughs> or how the right. foreskin works or how it works with the penis? Like, I had no idea. Here I am, a 30-year-old woman. So I thought to myself, if I don't know, and I'm involved in birth and childbirth education and uh, am just right. now right. learning about circumcision. I should probably know this stuff. So I really encourage you guys, if you're listening and you are wanting to share more information with people, educate yourselves and learn more about how the, the foreskin works and how the penis works. Um, and I know it sounds crazy, but there's, there's right. nothing wrong right. with education. I think it will really help you to help share information in a, in a, in a different way, in a more informed way. Right. Does Interestingly, in, in our um, urology textbook, there's there's a chart. This is like the textbook of urology, and there's a chart about the functions of different parts of the penis, and it says things like the glands or the head of the penis helps cushion uh, the cervix, and it doesn't even list the foreskin as a part. It's, wow. It's just as if it doesn't exist, um, and it, wow. it's really mind-boggling. Yeah, I actually wrote a booklet for new mothers called The Good Mommy's Guide to a Little Boy's Penis, and that ah. that was my way of educating people about the for- functions of the foreskin, and I talk a lot about that. I talk about, and the book's just about normal. It's about normal boy penises, you know, what they're born with, and um, why it's there and what it does and how to care for it properly, um, and that that's 
that's one of the ways that I'm hoping I can help educate more people just so that we know because this knowledge has just been lost in our, you know, the people who are teaching us, a lot of them have been circumcised. And so they, they can't really teach us about it because they don't really know. And they, you know, they know what they know, but it's, we have to step back and look at the global picture to learn the truth about everything. And that's my goal is to bring that, bring that knowledge back with that booklet. Well, I went ahead and uh, put that on the Progressive Parenting uh, Facebook page. If anybody wants to get a hold of it, that's where you can find it right now. But you can also find it at um, Dr. Adrian's site. I would really like for everybody to go take a look at it. It's adriancarmack.com, A-D-R-I-E-N-N-E-C-A-R-M-A-C-K.com. We'll go ahead and uh, link that on our Facebook page, too. Oh, my goodness. Our fire alarm is going off. I'm I'm sure my husband will take care of that. Uh, um, but thank you so much for being on the program today. I really appreciate all the work that you do, and I I invite you to come back anytime you'd like. I would love to have you on the show again. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Gina, and thanks for helping spread truth for all of us parents out there who are trying to do the best we can for our kiddos. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much for being on the program, yeah. and thank you, everybody, for joining us today. Sorry about the noise in the background. Um, if you would like to uh, share this with your friends, you can. It will be archived for sure. Um, and I want to thank uh, Dr. Carmack again for being on the program and really encourage everybody to go check out her website. Oh, goodness. All right, let's try that again. <laughs> with that nice loud noise in the background. I'm not frazzled at all. Here we go. Um, Thank you again, everybody, for joining us. I'd like to thank uh, our sponsors again for um, uh, backing us up. And big ups again to the new Life Birth Services, LLC, for helping today's program uh, come to fruition. We really appreciate it. If you enjoy the information that you get on our program, please be sure to go to ProgressiveParentingRadio.com and hit the donate button and give us some love and help us keep bringing great information to great people. And until next time, take care of yourselves and take care of each other. If I ever do anything right, I want to be so If I ever wake in the night, I want to know.